Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online. You know, we love doing this show for you every single week, but doing the show is not free. So if you enjoy the show, we ask maybe uh, consider helping us out a bit and supporting it. You can do that by becoming an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com. EPP means extra podcast person. You get an extra podcast for your support of the show. Every single week, we send you a brand new one. And you get access to our past archive of EPP episodes as well. Right now, that's more than 15 bonus episodes along with the weekly episode that you'll be getting every single week for only five bucks a month. If you like the show, help keep us on the air. And become an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com today. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, what should be a happy move to a cottage on a lake is turned into an investigation of inexplicable noises and discomfort. A former police officer in California is surprised to find someone in the backseat of his cruiser, but where do they come from, and more importantly, where did they go? And a sensitive working nights in a hotel knows more history about the hotel than is allowed to be discussed. Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. I love haunted hotel stories. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Just something about them. I don't know. And it's not that I like to necessarily stay in them. I just like wandering around them. Okay. Do you, can you think of any haunted hotels that you've been to or stayed in? Not that I've stayed in. No? Visited? Yeah. Yeah. One in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, yeah. That one. Um, I've stayed in a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, I, when I was a kid, I used to wander around this, uh, this hotel in my hometown called the Retlaw. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's, it's Walter backwards and there's a lot of weird lore about it because it's, you name the hotel after yourself and you reverse your name. And the rumor is that he died in the hotel, although I don't believe there's any actual proof of that actually happening but there's been rumors of hauntings there for a long time it actually was on this american life once they did an episode um about that hotel uh-huh. um and uh, all the rumors and the strange things that happening like uh, issues with laundry and things it's a creepy place but uh, just a, a neat place and when i was a, a teenager i would just wander around there wasn't staying there. I would just wander into the hotel and kind of explore the corridors of it and got locked in the master stairwell once. And <laughs> it was a great time. So I don't know. I just got a thing for creepy old hotels. Our uh, phone number is uh, 855-853-4802. Were you saying something or no, was that your lotion making noise? No, I was going to ask you if you had a hotel, would you name it after yourself? <laughs> the Hotel Tony? I think you'd have to go with Anthony because it sounds more distinguished for or, a hotel. Or call it Hotel Why Not because your name Tony Backwards is Why Not. Oh, that sounds a little more, uh, a little more distinguished. There you go. Stay at the Why Not. <laughs> <laughs> Be like Win, you know. Uh huh. It's the Why Not. I could see that. Maybe. <laughs> eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two. I'd probably enjoy haunting it. It's because I enjoy wandering around the hotels, so that would be something I would certainly stay there and wander around. 
You would guarantee a Shining type experience? Guaranteed. Okay. Guaranteed. It's like once I die, it's going to be the Shining to anyone who stays here. So, uh, Kicking off our show today with a letter to his high and Jenny, longtime listener, first time writing in. I'm writing in today with uh, what I'm unsure is a ghost story or not. I'm not a particularly strong believer in the paranormal yet. Acknowledge that there's enough weird and unexplained stuff out there that I'm open to the possibility of the existence of ghosts or something else beyond our understanding. I only came across the podcast because my daughter found it over a year ago on YouTube, and we looked for ghost stories to listen to as we sat by the campfire on the lake where we live. Well, I know the podcast isn't for children, and I cringe from time to time as we listen, we found the podcast to be very entertaining, so we continued to listen outside of the campfire, and we became regular listeners. My daughter even convinced me to become an EPP early on in the EPP campaign. We're down with EPP, yeah, you know me. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Anyway, with that a bit of background of my uh, skeptic yet open-minded attitude, I submit to you our story. After owning a summer cottage on a lake in Michigan, we decided to try to find a more permanent house on the lake some uh, on the same lake where we could uh, live full-time. Three years into the search, we found a beautiful home that met all of our wishes. The home was a relatively new structure, perhaps only seven or eight years old, on a lake where many of the homes and cottages are anywhere from 20 to 100 years old, which made it somewhat unique because of its new construction and modern amenities. The only feature that we didn't like about the house was a tasteful precast stone tablet embedded in the brick fa- uh, facade. 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 I'm doing better today. Of the home, just to the right of the front door. The tablet is about 1.5 to 2 inches and contains the words, In loving memory of John Doe. It's a foot and a half by two foot. Oh, is that what that means? That's what that means. Okay. (laughs) And I'm assuming the name was changed. Yes. John Doe. Okay. And the years of his birth and his death, it doesn't look bad, like I said. It's very tastefully done, but it's sort of like having a man's tombstone at the front door of your house. Kind of creepy. It was something my wife and I uh, would remove and replace with something else after we settled in. Me, my wife, and our two daughters, then ages eight and six, moved into the house in late winter, early spring of last year. We immediately fell in love with the house. It was everything we had hoped for. Beautiful home, big yard for the kids to play in, quiet street, great neighbor, sandy beach lakefront, and great fishing off our dock. We couldn't have asked for more. So happy. Very soon after we moved in, we began to get to know some of our neighbors. One of the questions, of course, that we asked uh, was about the tablet on the front of our house. Piecing together the story from different people, we found out that the home was built by the man mentioned on the tablet for his wife after he found out that he had contracted a terminal illness. The home that existed on the site previously had been a smaller, older, declining structure that they used as a summer cottage for themselves and their family. The husband, who knew his days were limited, wanted to build a new home so that his wife would never have to worry about maintenance or upkeep. He spared no expense to make sure it was constructed to the highest standards and take care of any future electrical, plumbing, heating, or cooling, and other structural issues that might arise. The interior was also fitted with beautiful millwork and high-end building finishes. The home he built for her was beautiful. Sadly, the man died eventually, passed away at the home and was, that was left for his wife. Over the years prior to his death, their children and grandchildren had spent many summers at the old home, as well as a new home on uh, that lake, making what I'm sure were unforgettable family memories. By the time of his death, however, the family had begun to use the home less and less. 
Over the years, grandchildren got older and went away to college, or family members relocated to other parts of the country or bought their own lake houses on other lakes. The summer before we purchased the home, we were told they only came to the house three times the whole summer. It was then that the man's widow decided it was time to sell to let another family enjoy the home that they were not using. Lucky for us, we were the benefactors of that decision. As I mentioned, we were immediately thrilled with our new home. Over the course of a few weeks, boxes were unpacked, furniture was placed in each room, and our lives started to feel normal in the new house. It was then that we had the first of what I'd characterize as moderately odd experiences. One night after putting the kids to bed, my wife and I were sitting downstairs watching TV. As we sat there watching, we heard the footsteps of one of the kids walk down the hallway upstairs. We didn't think much of it as we figured they had to use the bathroom or maybe they were trying to sneak into our bedroom to crawl into the bed with us, as they do from time to time. We didn't hear the bathroom door close or a toilet flush, so after a minute or so, I figured I'd go upstairs to make sure everything was okay. I walked upstairs, came upon the bedroom of my oldest daughter. There she was, sound asleep with a mild, childlike snore, ensuring that she was out. The second bedroom was my youngest daughter, also balled up in a fetal position, wrapped up in her covers, fast asleep. Strange, I thought, but shrugged it off and went back downstairs to watch more TV. I really didn't give it a second thought. But then, perhaps a week, maybe two later, it happened again. The unmistakable sound of footsteps walking down the hallway upstairs after the kids had been put to bed while my wife and I sat downstairs watching TV. Again, I went back upstairs to check things out, only to find both children asleep. Not even a twist or turn when I walked into their rooms to check on them. They were both clearly sound asleep. This happened a few times more after that, maybe once every two or three weeks. It even happened a couple of times when we had guests who confirmed that they too had heard the footsteps. Every time, either my wife or I would check on the kids and they were always asleep. While it wasn't really a thought that we pondered too hard at that point, we did begin to wonder, what's going on? What's causing the footstep noises? Are the kids messing with us? Is there something crawling in the ceiling? Joyce causing the noise? There has to be a logical reason behind it. After a couple of months in the house, we quickly became very good friends with the next-door neighbor. In fact, she and my wife have since become best friends. She knew the family who owned the house previously very well. It was one of the people who had filled us in on more details about Mr. John Doe, memorialized on the tablet. One night after a long day on the lake of boating, cooking out and having fun with friends over for a cocktail or two or three, well, you get the point, we were sitting in our living room with our neighbor and I brought up the noises we'd been hearing from upstairs and the fact that the kids were always asleep when we went up to check on them. Our neighbor instantly got a very uncomfortable, wrinkled forehead look on her face and said, Oh, I really didn't want to tell you guys about this, but after the man passed away, they scattered some of his ashes in the crawl space of the house. Maybe you have a ghost. While the thought of someone's ashes in the crawl space of my house didn't make me particularly happy, I really wasn't ready to believe the ghost option. I mean, there has to be a more logical explanation. There isn't a ghost in my house. But given the fact and the pattern thus far, I couldn't necessarily dismiss that idea either. Later in the week, I asked another friend on the lake who knew the family if he could confirm the ashes in the crawl space theory, and he said, oh no, they didn't do that. What a huge sense of relief I felt. Thank God there weren't ashes in my crawl space. 
Feeling better for a second, my friend then continued to say, They didn't scatter them in the crawl space. They scattered him along the shore of the lake in your backyard. I was quickly back to an ah bleep moment state of mind. There was some comfort, I guess, in thinking that his ashes were just in my backyard, probably washed away by the waves of the lake over the years. But both scenarios came from credible sources, so I had no idea which story was true. Are his remains under my house or just in my backyard? Or perhaps both? Either way, the fact is his remains are very likely here in one place or another, and there's nothing I can do about it. To a man, every person we talked to before learning of the ashes and the story behind Mr. John Doe was an extremely nice, lovable, generous, friendly man. We were told of how he was, uh, how he treated his wife well and what a wonderful grandfather he was. Really sounded like a great guy and had even given me some reservations about uh, removing the in-loving memory of John Doe tablet at our front door, which still remains on the house today. Up to this point, we hadn't felt any... Maleficent. Maleficent. Oh, like the. Uh, yes. The movie. Mm-hmm. Maleficent present. What does Maleficent mean? Evil. It's kind of like malevolent. Okay, it's another version of it. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference, or is this another word for it? It's like a synonym. Another level of it. A maleficent presence in the house. There were no cold spots, things missing, doors slamming, screams in the night, or anything that really made us feel uncomfortable. It was just unexplained footsteps. Insert young Frankenstein uh, steps here. Z footsteps, Z footsteps, Z footsteps. Uh, I uh, think you could say that uh, if you're going to have a ghost in your house, this would be the kind of ghost you'd want. I suppose given what I've outlined so far, you could say case closed. Your classic guy builds a house out of love for his wife. He dies. His ashes are scattered in and around the house, and he now haunts it from time to time just to check things out pretty standard stuff. Move along, nothing else to see here. However, one detail I left out was the actual footsteps themselves. If you've ever lived in a two-story house with your family or even roommates for a decent amount of time, you can generally figure out who's walking around upstairs by the rhythm, pace, or intensity of the footsteps. Every person seems to have their own sound. The footsteps in question that we're hearing upstairs sounded almost like a toddler's. Very short, quick steps almost like a little kid running. Sometimes they were slower-paced, more exploratory, but even then still sounded like a young child, but not the typical sounds that our kids make when they're walking around upstairs. So if Mr. John Doe was in fact haunting the house, why would his footsteps sound like a toddler's? Really made no sense to me, and frankly the skeptic in me still had me thinking these noises were likely the kids running around even if it didn't sound like them and they appeared to be asleep every time we went to check. As summer rolled into the early fall months, the footsteps were heard less and less. But after at least a month of not hearing anything, we heard it again. This time I bolted upstairs because I wanted to catch one of the kids running down the hallway, or worst case, the ghost. Once again, when I got up there, everyone was asleep and there was no ghostly image roaming the hallway. When I came back downstairs, my wife looked at me with a stern look on her face and said quite firmly, He isn't bothering us, so don't bother him. At that point, I'd pretty much given up trying to find an explanation and just accepted the idea that occasionally we might hear some footsteps. No big deal. In fact, we heard them even less after that. 
started to think that maybe if we did have a ghost, he'd watched our family in our house and was okay with us knowing we would take care of it and our family would be happy here so he could move on. Or if the footsteps were in fact one of the kids, maybe they'd just become comfortable in their new house and weren't waking up in the middle of the night to run to the bathroom or attempt to sneak into their parents' bedroom. Either way, the footsteps had pretty much gone away and we began to forget about it. Another couple of months went by and we heard nothing until early December. It was a cool winter night, can't really say exactly when, maybe two or three in the morning, and everyone was fast asleep. I was awoken to the sound of something sliding on the carpet like someone crawling towards our room. I wasn't surprised by the sound as my youngest daughter still tries to crawl in bed with me and my wife, as she says, to snuggle. She's often pretty stealthy about it, and we sometimes wake up in the morning, and there is she is lying next to us or at the foot of the bed without either of us having any memory of her sneaking in. So when I heard the sliding noise coming from the hallway into our room, I just assumed it was her pulling one of her SEAL Team 6 surprise attacks on us. I was sleeping on my side with my back turned to the door, but could hear and feel her presence now just to the side of the bed. I was working a big project at work at the time and had been working long hours each day and was exhausted. I had no energy to try to talk to her, to try to talk her back into her own bed, so I decided I wasn't going to fight her this time and let her sleep next to us. I threw aside the blanket so she could crawl in and gently patted the bed with my hand as if to say, It's okay this time. Come lay down here. As soon as I did that, I heard a very loud forceful pounding of the floor mimicking my patting of the bed. Only this was not a soft padding. It was almost like a wrestling referee counting out three seconds for a pin on the wrestling mat. After the pounding of the floor, I began to turn around to see what was going on, only to hear the very quick pitter-patter type footsteps that we'd heard before going out the door. By the time I turned around so I could see the door, she was gone. My first instinct was get up and go see what our daughter was doing. But before I could even start to get out of bed, I then heard a loud buzzing noise like a fly buzzing above me. Through the dim light of the hallway and the night light, I made out the image of a very large bug about the size of a nickel hovering over me. It stayed there for a second or two and then landed on my arm. I went to slap it and missed. It then flew away out into the hallway and I heard the loud buzzing sound dissipate as it went further away. Still very groggy and in a haze from being awoken in the middle of the night, I was sitting there trying to process what had just happened. What was my daughter doing on the floor below our bed? How did she crawl or run out so fast? What the hell is a huge fly doing in my house in December? It's Michigan. There's no bugs flying around in December, especially big ones like that. Wait, was it even my daughter on the floor? I mean, I never actually saw her. My back was turned to that side of the room, and I just assumed it was her. I spent maybe five to ten seconds or so waking up and processing all of this, and I realized I needed to check the kids to make sure that it was one of them that had just been in my room, or figure out what was going on. First check, there was my oldest daughter fast asleep. Then on to check my youngest daughter, who I assumed had been the one in the room. Again, there she was, also asleep. When I walked in her room, she did sort of wiggle and turn, like she could have been awake, but still, she looked like she was asleep, and she definitely did not look like she had just sprinted out of our room 15 to 20 seconds earlier. 
With that, I went back to bed confused. My wife somehow slept through all of this, none the wiser. I stayed awake another half hour or so, keeping my eyes and ears open, but nothing further happened, and I finally fell back asleep. When we woke up the next morning, I asked my daughter if she had tried to crawl in our room, and she said no, but I didn't expect her to say anything different. She wouldn't admit to trying to sneak in our room, even if she did. She said she had no memory of getting out of bed. Alternatively, I began to think that perhaps she was in some kind of a sleepwalk mode or was dreaming about being a dog. Yes, this is a realistic possibility with her, and was acting it out or something, some other alternative that I hadn't even considered. We're close to two months since that last event, and all has been quiet. I'm hoping it stays that way. Again, I'm really not inclined to accept the idea that there's a ghost in the house, even if it's a Casper-style ghost, and I'm even less inclined to believe that there's something more mysterious, like a crawling thing pounding on my bedroom floor with a big bug buzzing over me, which that might suggest. More than likely, I still think these events are the result of one or both the kids, but the frequency of these events and background of the previous owner leave me wondering. Do you think we have one? Could removing the tablet on the front of the house stir things up again? Should any action be taken to try to rid ourselves of its presence? Or should I just tie down the kids and we put them to bed? Thanks for taking the time to read my letter, and thanks for all the work you put into delivering a very entertaining and interesting show. My oldest daughter, Ava, also sends her regards. She eagerly awaits the release of every show and is one of your biggest younger generation fans. All the best, Matt and Ava. Well, Matt and Ava, thank you so much for writing in that story. I do think that qualifies as a ghost story. Yeah, Matt, I think you just got to kind of accept that you got a ghost. Okay, but here's what I think, and they're not going to like it. Okay. I think the obvious answer is not the right answer here. What, What do you think the obvious answer is? Well, the obvious answer would be John Doe, whose name is on the side of the house, haunting the house. Okay. But I think it's more complicated than that. I really don't think it's him. At all? No. Okay. I think it has something to do with the house that was there before or something else that was on the land because I don't think he would come back in a child form. Yeah, that's true. So I really think either it's something... I mean, if it were something really bad, they'd, I think, already probably have more issues Mm -hmm. than just footsteps. But I think that might be part of the reason, too, here this nice house sat and they only came up to it like three times a year when the previous owners had it. Mm. Then why aren't they, why weren't they enjoying it? Surely it wasn't because they were too busy, which that's a possibility. But I'm thinking if I knew I had a lake house... I'd be there, like, all summer long. And that if there was something like that happening in it, that would keep you away. Yeah. If they thought it was just Dad, they probably would be like, okay, it's just Dad. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to worry about it. Do you think that it could be a combination of things? Because it's interesting. We've had some stories before where there was, like, the resident, kind of silent, not disturbing ghost that uh, was friendly. And kind of kept the negative things at bay. Uh-huh. Do you think there's any chance that maybe there is some of, of the the John Doe keeping watch over this house and, and keeping things from getting out of control? Yeah. I mean, that could be. I just think 
that they would have, um, well, maybe not, but I was thinking they might have some signs of him Mm -hmm. as well versus just this little interesting footstep phenomena plus the the fly thing. The fly is where it kind of started to scare me a little bit. But it was just one, and it went away. <laughs> I was almost thinking it was like an orb or something that he was seeing that, and he oh. was thinking it was a fly. You know, just yeah, because that we when you see something flying around your house, the first thought's usually not, you know, orb. <laughs> it's yeah. usually like, what kind of bug is that? But you don't usually hear of a buzzing orb. True, that's so. true. No, I don't know. I just I think there's more to the story. Yeah. And I don't think it'll necessarily get any worse, but that might have been what was keeping the family from spending more time yeah. there. If it, he said, he, you know, what do you think? If I were to give one uh, piece of advice or suggestion, if you want it to stop, next time it happens, if it happens again, just literally ask it to stop. Just say out loud, hey, you can live here too. Just don't make noise. You're, you know, disturbing me. Don't disturb my kids. You can do whatever you want, hang out here, but just don't let your presence be known to us. And sometimes that's the easiest solution. Yeah. I don't necessarily think you need to try and remove the plaque. I wouldn't remove the plaque, just in case. I think removing the plaque may stir stuff up yeah. more. I, I would just leave it. You know, and it's a, you know, it sounds like there was a nice history to the home. I think it's part of the history of the home that should continue to be passed down. It's it's an interesting piece of the home history that, that should be known to the people beyond you that lives that live there. Yeah. So they can have a good idea of it. So I would leave the plaque. Um, how would you handle it if, if you got a lake home and then you found out, let's say there's no paranormal activity going on here. Okay. Nothing. Nothing, nothing even... You know, insinuating that there could be, uh, but the neighbor said, "Oh yeah, they spread the ashes in the attic." Uh, funny story. Um, we actually, when I was growing up, we had a house that had a lake behind it. It wasn't a huge lake, but about ten houses backed up to this decent-sized lake. And we would have friends out. Well, one of our friends' father passed away, and he really had a good time coming out and fishing, and wanted his ashes spread in our lake. And my parents said no. And I think about that when I think about this story. How would I handle it? Um, If I found out after the fact the ashes were already there, I guess if there was no paranormal activity going on, I would probably be okay with it. Obviously, what am I going to do if paranormal stuff's going on and the ashes are already spread? You can't do much about it. No. Would I let people do that? I think probably not. Even in your lake? Yeah, probably not. Did they have, maybe I missed a part of the story, did they have a connection to the lake that they used to live? No. Well, it was a friend of our family. Okay. And his dad used to come out and go fishing there. Okay. And so it was just a really serene, really pretty place out in the country. And so he just thought his ashes, it would be nice to have his ashes spread there. Mm -hmm. And we just decided not to do that because not only was it not completely our lake, everybody else shared it. And I just... We didn't want to make that decision and be like, hey, guess what? We're dumping ashes in the lake, everybody. So you don't ask permission where you spread ashes. You I just, know. You just go and spread them. <laughs> and then like later people are like, oh, yep, that's what we did. They're up in your treehouse now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just decided not to, not to have to be weirded out by that. Yeah. No. That's interesting. I mean, uh, 
What do you do with ashes? And it'd be weird to have them spread in an attic. I, I can't. I, I, but what do you do? I mean, you don't like going swiffer them out. No, but I think um, you know they might have been referring to the crawl space under the house. Oh, even a even a weirder place to put ashes. You know, it's because it's really not a place you would have frequented. I don't know, but Matt and Ava, I wouldn't worry too much about your ghost because honestly, it's probably just somebody that loved being there by the lake as much as you guys do. Or a demon. 855 <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't get anything dark out of this, do you? No. Okay. I just had to throw that in there. I almost made a Walter White reference midway through the story. Oh, that's where, real good. Where it was. And he found that he was having terminal, or he was terminally ill and he needed to build this home for his family. So he began to sell meth. You know, I was going to go down that road. But I didn't. Because I didn't want you to hit me. I'm not so. going to hit you. You're too far away. There you go. Let's go to a caller. Uh, this is uh, Richie in Portland. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Richie on Ryan. I'm calling from uh, Portland, Oregon. I wrote in recently letting you guys know that I mainly listen to your podcast when I'm running at night because it's fun, scary, and it just gets me pumped up. Tonight's no exception, and I was calling because I recently wrote in about being skeptical of a shadow person and having sleep paralysis and Jenny actually wrote me back which is proving that you guys are truly professionals and responded on her perspective while I still remain skeptical you guys are talking about your first haunted apartments tonight on the most recent podcast and I had to call and share something that did happen to me that regardless of skepticism freaked me out so it's a little kitschy, but it freaked me out for a good couple of weeks. So my friend and I lived in an apartment in Eugene, Oregon, and I had put up three movie posters. And uh, one movie poster that was closest to our window was a Blair Witch poster that was just the woods uh, on a white backdrop. So it was dark woods on a white backdrop. And there was, and you look straight at it, and it looks just like uh, a wood set, um, an outdoor set. And so I never thought anything of it. And one day we were moving a couch and we had to take one of the legs off to move it, put the, put the leg right on top of the couch. Um, it was sitting on its side <clears throat> and we turned our heads for a second. And I noticed that the reflection of the poster that was adjacent to the front window was showing a reflection of a screaming face and it was to me i was thinking okay this is a trick of the poster because it's the blair witch project and you see in a mirror or something and it's going to reflect this or a window and i'm looking at this and i was telling my friend how creepy it was and we looked back at the couch to move it again you know being tough guys and the leg that we had set on top of the couch was missing looked everywhere never to be found again uh we had to prop up the couch with books i believe um and that has always stuck with me because there were little things that would disappear in that apartment and i always again going to skepticism just assume that we misplaced it or somebody took it but ever since i saw that reflection little things started happening around the place and i kept trying to dissect the poster thinking okay this is me, it's a trick of the eyes. There's no way that 
this is happening. Uh, and every every time I looked at it, it gave me the creeps. I ended up getting rid of it and moved out of that apartment shortly after. But hearing your podcast about the apartment kind of brought back that memory, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So keep up the podcast. I love it. I'm going to get back to my run. Thanks. Bye. Well, Richie, thanks for calling in, even if you are a skeptic. But I think you can't hardly argue with a scary face reflecting in either a a mirror or a picture or anything like that. What does it take sometimes to make someone not a skeptic (laughs) is my question. I mean, mean, that's funny because when when we get a lot of skeptic calls, I I think a, a lot of them are, they really do believe in this stuff. They're just afraid to admit it out loud. Well, I think a lot of people just want that concrete, scientific, without a doubt, evidence. And I don't blame them. Sure. It's it's hard to just, like we do, just all in, except, okay, it's here. This is how we operate. We don't operate on if we're trying to prove it. We just just operate as if it is part of our life because that's how we feel. Yeah. Um, So I respect people that are skeptical because I think... They just haven't had that one experience that convinces them without a doubt. And maybe they never will. And yeah. that's, you know, I honestly don't wish for people to be scared shitless. I don't. Sure. Well, the thing is with it, I mean, I don't... When, when you operate on, on the, you know, the scientific print, you know idea of it, is it that you need to understand why they're, they're here or how they're here to understand why you saw the image in a mirror, for example, or something of that nature? Is it is it that you want more of the the explanation behind why or how it got there uh, to accept that it is there? I mean, I don't, I, know. I don't like I like for example, I don't need I know nothing about how to make a car run. I, if you ask me to go fix the car or take a look at something under the hood, I would have no clue how to do it. But I accept that there's mechanical things in it that make it work. Uh huh. So I know when I turn that ignition. It's likely going to start. I don't need to be proven. I, I, I don't need to have someone to me that all these parts work. I, I can just kind of accept that they're there and that they work. That's how I operate with ghosts. I don't need to have someone uh, necessarily, although I like to examine and, and figure out what these things may be. I don't necessarily need someone to give me scientific proof that there's a demon or a human ghost or an angel or something like that. I just accept they're there. Mm-hmm. As far as how the hell they got there, I don't know, or all of that. But I just kind of accept they're there. Well, that, I, that's how I operate. I think of it, uh, it's a lot to do with almost not your personality, but how you think. I mean, yeah. you and I are more creative thinkers. It's more of a mechanical thinking to mm-hmm. be uh, not so accepting of it. I th- I think so. I think it needs, you know, it, for somebody who's a lot more analytical mm-hmm. and, and concrete and almost... I don't know, a lot more scientific-minded than you and I are. I think they need that definitive explanation. Which is good, because we need people like that to eventually one day figure out what the hell this stuff is. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, do you think they ever will? Do you think we'll ever get any sort of definitive scientific proof of any of this, or is this always just going to be, well, (laughs) it's there. We don't know what the hell it is. I think we will. I don't know that it'll be in our lifetime or our kids' lifetime, but I think we eventually will. But I think, too, that's why a lot of skeptics are constantly looking for that 
sure. proof. You know, yeah. a lot of investigators are actually skeptics. They are trying to find that scientific proof that everybody sure. that is a skeptic needs. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. If you haven't done so already, please press subscribe, whatever platform it is you listen to the show on. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, there's a gazillion other ways you can listen to the show. Whatever it may be, press subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes of the show. Uh, Tara in Texas. Hello, my name is Tara. I'm 22. I'm from an island not far from Houston, Texas. Um, i I'm reading what I wrote down because if I didn't, I'd probably jump from one story to another. Um, to start off, uh, since I was very small, I've been able to see and feel spirits and other entities. Thankfully, I come from a family where that's pretty common. Um, I was born with a veil like my Nana and like hers and so on and so forth. It seems to skip a generation. Um, well, now that you know a little bit about me, I'll get on with my story. I'm a night auditor at a hotel here on the island. My shift is from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Um, I'm alone after 11 p.m. I'm the only person that works in the hotel. And every night towards the end of my shift, I deliver my receipts to the rooms that uh, we'll be checking out in the morning. Um, since the day I started here, I would get a terrible feeling of sadness and dread and um, the, the feeling like you know you're in trouble with, with your parents that overwhelming feeling of negativity. Um, it's the best way I can describe it. It's something that I do not look forward to every morning. Um, uh, I, this would happen when I would pass a particular room. Um, it's like I could feel somebody sitting next to me or getting close to me. And the feeling would go along with me the whole way, length of the wall. The, the hallway that we had to go through and that I have to go through. Um, the hallway is very long, so it's, it sucks. It sucks having to feel that for that long. And recently, I started getting mental pictures when I would pass by this room. Um, it, it's hard for me to describe it, but it's like in my mind's eye, I could see a person standing there. Um, it was a shorter woman. She, had, she was a petite lady. She has messy, short black hair and what would be a mint cardigan. Her face is pale um, and where her eyes should be, it just, it's dark and I can't see them. But I can see her lips and they're chapped and they're dry and they're very shriveled and she never has any expression on her face. Well, about three days ago, I came to the hotel for a meeting during the day and I took this opportunity to talk to one of our housekeeping supervisors. I never get to see them because like I said, I work at night and I'm by myself. Um, and I asked her in confidence if there had been anything that had happened in that room. And she told me that we're not supposed to talk about it, especially to the audit because it, it had scared other people away. But um, there was a woman, she hung herself in that bathroom. And since I've received this information, um, the past three nights that I've worked, I've gotten calls from that room and we don't have anybody staying in there. It's about 4 a.m. here and when I hang up, I'll be delivering the receipts to that floor and the other floors. I just wanted to say thank you for the show. I really enjoy it. Um, Jenny is a great addition and I hope to hear more from you guys. And if I have, 
Um, if you guys would want me to, I would be happy to tell you all more stories that I've encountered here at the hotel and then um, other parts of my life as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Have a wonderful night. I want to stay there. You want to stay there? Yeah. Okay. I just want to hear more of Tara's stories from there. Yeah. I want to hear the first before we stay there. Would you be mad if we I booked us at a haunted hotel? Didn't tell you there was a, it was a haunted hotel until after we stayed there. Yeah. Um. You probably wouldn't get away with that. I'd probably know as soon as we walked in. Yeah. You'd probably look into it. Yeah. Or you get the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So good luck with that one. You should try and make that into a game. No. <laughs> Stump Jenny on what hotel is haunted. <laughs> That'd be interesting. That really would be an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Not necessarily to like trick you to stay in a hotel, but just three buildings that are, it doesn't even have to be hotels, just buildings. Uh-huh. Um, that, and one is known to have a lot of energy and empaths go kind of nutty inside. Not nutty, but you know, they, they feel it. Our know? radars go off. Yeah, your radars go off. Um, and the other two are not known to be anything. Okay. And I don't tell you what's what, and you got to tell me what's the uh, the one that's known. Okay. I don't know how I would put this together, but uh, it'd be an interesting experiment. Yeah, it would be an interesting experiment. No telling what we might find out. Yeah, you never know. 855-853-4802. That's our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Dave in California. Hi. Hi, Brewski family. Uh, before I start, just want to say, hey, I love the show. Um, my name's Dave. I'm from San Diego. A uh, couple quick things. Um, I was a police officer for about 10 years. Uh, a year ago, I changed careers. But a uh, couple quick stories. You know, um, in a couple past episodes, I've been hearing about this big white dog. Uh, just a large white dog in a couple of the stories. Um, I had an experience one night when I was working the graveyard shift. You know, it's 3, 4 in the morning. I'm... Uh, Driving down this street, 32nd Street, totally remember this, um, zero traffic, you know, and uh, in the middle of the road, this huge white dog, you know, just this big white fluffy dog, kind of, a, you know, I guess the general shape of a, a husky, but not a husky, just this all white, huge dog, much larger than a husky. You know, I'm, I'm an animal lover. I pull, I pull alongside of it, roll down my window, and uh, say, hey, puppies, you know, you need to get out of the road. Well, this dog takes off running, um, running down the sidewalk through people's yards, and I'm pacing it with my uh, patrol car, you know, with my patrol vehicle. Um, I get up to 55 miles an hour. Um, then the dog just disappears. And uh, couldn't explain it. It was uh, a very, very strange um, happening. Um, and just hearing the stories about people having some sort of interaction also with these huge white dogs reminded me. Um, another night when I was working, again, working the graveyard shift, zero traffic on the road. I'm going down this four-lane highway um and again zero traffic but just out of habit i'm changing lanes and i check my blind spot um in my as i check my blind spot i see someone sitting in my back seat and you know there's no one in my back seat i, I look away real quick 
look back, you know, because I'm like, what the, what the hell's going on here? No one there. And, you know, that one I could kind of possibly explain to, hey, it's the graveyard shift. I'm tired. Um, but uh, I don't know. It was a uh, really, really creepy story. Anyway, I've got tons of stories uh, working as a cop, you know, especially working nights. You uh, see and are occasionally involved in just very, very strange things as well as, you know, some of my buddy's stories. Anyway, I will call back another time. Um, love your show. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks a lot. Okay, I'm sure he's used to seeing some strange things in the backseat of his cruiser, but I bet that takes the cake. It's one of those things, it's pretty definitive when you see a person in your backseat. And then you don't. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you say it's not... It's not usually something you're like, oh, maybe they're, eh, maybe I'm just seeing things. I can't recall really any time other than when I was really little that I just saw something. Yeah. You yeah. know, just to write it off as, oh, I'm seeing things. I was pretty, you know, I, I you see something, you see something. It's easier to go, oh, I'm seeing things because it's more disturbing to think of what you may be seeing. Right. But, uh, yeah. You know, I wonder, too, about the dog. Mm -hmm. That can't be a real dog for him to get up to 55 miles an hour trying to chase that dog down, and then it just disappears. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's up at hours that, you know, the witching hours, Yeah, if you will, where supposedly more paranormal things are likely to happen and I just I think he's likely come across some of those things so yeah we would love to hear more of your stories uh, if you're willing to share please do uh, call or write back in uh, we would uh, we'd love to hear more from you Dave thank you for uh, for sharing those stories numbers 855-853-4802 here at Real Ghost Stories Online Amanda hi Tony and Jenny uh, my name is Amanda this is my first time calling um, I love your podcast. I'm an EPP, and I love your EPP episodes. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of experiences. I'm not very sensitive, and, well, I'm glad because I don't want to be sensitive. I don't want to see or experience those things. But I do have one story in particular that um, really, really freaked me out at the time and still to this day kind of freaks me out. I can't really look in a mirror for too long. So uh, I used to live in a small one-bedroom apartment um, in Southern California, and I lived there with my husband, who at that time was my boyfriend. Um, We were getting ready to go out to dinner. I was in the restroom, and um, I was facing the mirror, looking in the mirror, and it was a a rather large mirror. It went all the way up to the ceiling and um, came down to the the counter, the sink was in front of me, and the mirror came down all the way to the edge of the counter. And directly behind me was the doorway into the bathroom. So I'm curling my hair and getting ready. My husband comes in, and I can see him in the mirror behind me, and he's kind of coming in every so often and just poking me and pinching my back as to let me know that I'm taking much longer than I should and I should hurry up, just kind of messing with me. And he would come in and do this every couple of minutes, and I would, you know, swing my hand behind me and kind of swat him away and hit at him, and he would walk down the hall laughing, and he'd come in in a couple minutes and do it again. He did this about 
mm, I would say three or four times. And then um, after that, he didn't come back in again. So a good 15 minutes later, he hadn't come back in. And I'm finishing up, and I go to unplug my curling iron, and I look in the mirror, and behind me, I can see my husband. He's crouched down on the floor trying to sneak in the bathroom because every time he came in, I could see him behind me in the mirror. So he's crouched down, so I can't see him in the mirror, but he didn't quite crouch down far enough, and I could see right in the mirror behind me where the mirror meets the edge of the counter. I could see his hair and his forehead and the edge of his glasses. And I feel him um, grab my butt and kind of pinch me a little bit. And I immediately just swing my hand behind me as to, you know, swat his arm off of me. And I just, nothing. I hit air. And I immediately spin around, and there's nothing there. There's nobody there. And my heart drops. I was just, I was really scared and confused as to what just happened. I step out of the door, and I look down the hall, and there's nothing. No one's there. He's not there. So I call out to him, and he calls back to me from the kitchen. So I go into the kitchen, and I start kind of, you know, laying into him and yelling at him, you know, I'll be ready when I'm ready and don't come and bug me and pester me. And he just swears up and down. He said, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't in the restroom. And I told him what I saw. And, you know, he wasn't at all surprised because he's he sees things every so often, especially the town and the apartment that we lived in at the time was just really filled with activity. Lots, lots of shadow people, you know, um, so he wasn't at all surprised, but I was just, I was petrified because it was unmistakably my husband. My husband has um, red hair and he has very thick black rimmed glasses. And that's what I saw in the mirror. I saw his bright red hair. I saw the freckles on his forehead. I saw the, the thick um, black rims on his glasses. I could see everything almost until his eyes. And what really freaked me out about that was whatever it was not only disguised itself as my husband, but it had, you know, been apparently watching us and knew that he was kind of messing with me and coming up behind me in the bathroom, and it was mimicking that. So that really freaked me out. And because, you know, I don't see things and... I, I love a good scary story and I love ghost stories and I love, you know, we'll go to abandoned hospitals and search around and do fun things like that, but I don't ever see anything. That's the only thing I've ever seen and it really freaked me out. And to this day, if I'm getting ready in the restroom, I cannot, you know, I have to have the door closed in order to look in the mirror and get ready in the restroom, especially if I'm listening to your podcast when I'm getting ready for work. I have to have the door closed because it just really freaks me out. Um, other than that, that's about the only thing that's ever happened to me, but I do have some friends that have had the most amazing experiences, and I'll call back in with those and share those. Um, thanks for doing the podcast, and thanks for listening to my story. Doppelganger? I don't know. That's an awful playful doppelganger, you know? 
Mm-hmm. If he's trying to, like, harass her when she's getting ready. Do you think it's something else that's just trying to get some engagement there going on? I kind of think that. I mean, yes, it fits the doppelganger definition, I guess, mm-hmm. if there is a definition. It's just, I don't know. I get the feeling it's something else just because of the way, most of the time, the doppelgangers are almost like reserved versions of their original person. You sure. know, this seemed a little bit more outgoing, <laughs> to say the least. If it's butt grabbing. A so. butt-grabbing doppelganger. Butt-grabbing That's what we should have named this episode. Instead of Haunted Lake House, uh, it could be butt-grabbing doppelganger. <laughs> and then the graphic is just two big cheeks. Oh, yeah, because that would be great. That would work out really well. <laughs> uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. One more call before we wrap up the show for today. Uh, Caitlin, Louisiana. Hi. Hi, Tony. This is Caitlin. I'm from North Louisiana. Um, I was calling to tell you this story. I love your show. I've listened to it for a long time, and I just feel like you need to hear this because it's absolutely cool. Um, my story starts when my husband and I moved into my grandparents' house after we had gotten married. We had just gotten married. My grandfather had just passed away, um, so my grandmother sold us her house. Um, my husband, he does work that oftentimes makes him have to travel. So oftentimes I'm at home alone. And so because of this, we have two dogs. We have a German Shepherd and a Sitsu. He's Um, Well, one night I'm at home alone and my dogs are in the bed with me. And it, we had been in bed for probably 30 minutes or so. Usually by that time, they were snoring their heads off and I'm usually reading a book. But by this night, I was really, really tired. So I had already laid down and was starting to get ready to go to sleep. Um, then all of a sudden, both dogs kind of shoot up and they're staring at my bedroom door. And it's kind of important to know in this story that we have a hallway door that separates the hallway with all the bedrooms from the rest of the house because we have two separate air conditioning units. So that hallway door is closed. And when you go down that hallway, there's um, a bedroom on the right, an office on the other side, and then a bathroom next to the office. And then mine and my husband's bedroom is at the very end of the hallway. Well, they both shoot straight up and they're staring at my door and that's unusual. That's very unusual. Because usually if something startles them, they start barking. But they weren't barking. And so I sit up. And about the time that I sit up, I hear the bedroom or the hallway door open. And then I hear it close. And then I hear blue jeans. The sound that blue jeans make when you're walking, I hear that coming down my hallway. And so the first thing that I think of is someone's broken into my house. And I'm afraid. Nobody ever comes through the door, though. So I start thinking, okay, Dennis came home, my husband, and he has, he's trying to trick me because this is not the first thing that's ever happened in my house. So I get up and I get my dogs down and we go search the entire house. There's nothing there. Every door is locked. Every window is shut. There's nothing there. So I go back to bed and the dogs are back in bed and they get laid down and they get comfortable and it seemed like everything's going to be fine. Well, just about the time that I get laid back down and get to where I'm comfortable enough to go to sleep, it happened again. Both dogs shot straight up, door open, but this time it slammed shut, and the blue jeans come running down the hallway. But it stopped right at my bedroom door. You could hear it. It literally stopped right at my bedroom door. I was petrified. 
absolutely petrified. My dogs, they weren't making any sound. They were just staring. Well, after a few minutes, they finally laid back down. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe I'm just kind of psyching myself up. I'm not really hearing what I'm hearing. Not a big deal. So I laid back down. And just as I laid my head down on my pillow, I hear as clear as day as as if I'm speaking to you clearly, don't be afraid. Needless to say, I shot up straight out of my bed, spent the night in my car. Um, but that is my story. Um, there's been other things that's happened in my house. I'll call back later and give you those stories. But that just kind of shocked me. I didn't really understand why somebody was running down my hallway and then told me not to be afraid. I, my friends have told me that maybe it's my grandfather. He was always a jokester. He was always a prankster. So it, it would make sense. But anyway, I love the show. Love you guys. Um, look forward to hearing more from you guys in the future. All right. Thanks. Bye. Okay. I've never had an experience where somebody said, don't be afraid. And it was like, oh, okay. I won't be. I think that's usually the signal to be more afraid. Yes. I don't think I would be necessarily calming down if the ghost told me to not be afraid. No. As comforting as it would be, you know, that it would be Grandpa hanging out just because he's dead. I, I don't know that that's necessarily Grandpa hanging out. I don't know. It might be. But if it's telling you not to be afraid, that's not that's not something you want to hear. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to make of that one. <laughs> I don't know so. either. Thank you for uh, calling in and sharing your story with us. We really, really do appreciate it. I'd say be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's nothing. Uh, 855-853-4802 is your phone number if you want to share your real ghost story with us. If you want more ghost stories, uh, please become an EPP. And it's an extra podcast person. Get a bonus episode every single week. Uh, you get access to that uh, archive as well of our past uh, EPP episodes. Now sitting at 22 bonus episodes. Right when you sign up, you get that email sent right to you uh, from uh, last week's EPP. And then, of course, the following week one comes to you uh, on Saturday. Five bucks a month keeps our show going. So if you like it, please support it. That's all we ask. Uh, until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online.